Let's read now 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1. Paul said, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Please leave your Bibles open. Let's go back and just briefly work our way through this text tonight. Father, thank you for the good singing tonight, good music, good opportunity to be in church, good fellowship, and the good Holy Spirit that's here in our service tonight. Thank you for letting us be here, and I pray and ask you now that you'd bless your word and speak to our hearts about this all-important matter of prayer in the life of the church. Please bless us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. For quite a while now in our uh, Sunday evening services, we've been making our way through the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is a very passionate, very personal letter that Paul wrote to his young son in the faith, young Timothy, as he struggled to pastor one of the greatest churches in all of the New Testament. There's some indication in this book that as a young pastor, Timothy had some people that were already against him in the church. Now, I wish that wasn't the case. I wish that in, in, in every church, everybody always loved each other and prayed for each other, but we got to be realistic. You know, saved people are nothing more than just people who still have the flesh. And any time that we have the flesh, sometimes we have problem. People are people and nothing more, and God is God and nothing less. Every one of us is not always going to agree and not always going to get along. The old poem goes something like this, to live above with saints we love, that will sure be glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's another story. And we have that, sometimes we have personality clashes and problems in the church. Paul went on to tell young Timothy, in spite of the opposition, that he was to go on and to live for God anyway. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 12, Paul said, uh, To be thou an example of the believers. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. I think what Paul is telling young Timothy is, you may have some people there that are against you, but keep a good spirit about you and be a good example, not only to the believers, but be a good example of the believers as well. I think Paul is telling Timothy, hey, uh, the Lord Jesus had people that were against him while he was here on this earth, so just go on and live for God Anyway, you know, years ago, we had a, a, my daddy and mama always raised a garden beside of our house. And uh, it was my job in the spring of every year when I got a little bit older was to go out there and to get that garden ready for mama and daddy to 
to plant the seed. Well, we had an old front tine tiller. If you know anything much about those things, there's a rear tine tiller and a front tine tiller. If you got to, if, you, if it ever comes down, you got to buy one or the other. Get the one in the rear, not the one in the front. Can I have an amen? And uh, I would get out there in that garden spring of every year, and that thing would throw me all over that garden. I mean, it would just pick me up and just sling me around because of those rear, trying to bite into that hardened dirt uh, that had been packed down by the rains and the snow of winter. And it was quite a job to do that. And right in the middle of our garden, we had an old stump there, a tree that was there, and it had rotted and fell down, but the stump of it remained. And I made up my mind that I was going to get that stump out of the middle of that garden. So I took that old tiller, and I'd run into that stump, and I'd, man, I'd just, and that thing would throw me everywhere, and, and I'd hit it some more with that stump, peel the bark off of it, try to get rid of that stump. One day, my daddy walked there, and he said, son, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trying to get rid of that stump there, daddy, get it out of the middle of the garden. And he said, son, there's some things you just got to learn to let rot out. You know, you can beat against things and beat against things and beat against things, but th sometimes you just leave them alone, they'll rot out. Well, let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you all so much for coming tonight. I'm just saying, sometimes the problems that we face, sometimes it, instead of running into it, just leave it alone. Let God take care of it. And that's what I think Paul is telling young Timothy here. Maybe some folks there in the church of Ephesus, because you're young, maybe they don't necessarily cotton to you, but he said, just go on and live for God anyway. Now, we're dealing in the opening chapters of this book on the subject of how to build a church. And we've learned several things so far, thus far in chapter number one. If you're going to build a church, number one, you've got to build it on sound doctrine. You cannot build a church on unsound, unhealthy doctrine doctrine. We've got, by the way, in the Baptist church, don't you agree with me when I say we got some of the best doctrine in the world? I mean, don't you agree with that? I mean, the eternal security of the believer and the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I mean, salvation by grace, whosoever will, the blood. Of, I'm telling you, we have some of the greatest doctrine in, in the world in the Baptist church. Can I stop and say this? But we are some of the deadest people. We got great doctrine. But we are some of the deadest people in the whole wide world, aren't we? I heard about this one old la this one man and this lady. They met together at one of these senior citizens meeting. And uh, so um, uh, he was like in his early 90s. She was in her mid to late 80s. And he asked her out on a date. And she agreed to go. And uh, so uh, the, the time come, the lady went home, told, her, uh, told her, her daughter, she lived with her daughter now. She said, I got asked out on a date today at the senior citizens meeting. She said, well, Mama... What would you say? She said, I, I told him I'd go with him. We're going to go out on a date Saturday night at 7 o'clock. Well, about 7 o'clock that night, here he pulled up in the car, still driving, early 90s, got out of the car, walked up on the porch, rang the doorbell, got her, and they left. And uh, she told her mama now, she said, before you leave, I just want to tell you, if he tries to get fresh with you, mama, you just smack him. Don't you let him get fresh with you. Oh, she said, honey, I'll take care of myself. I, I, know, I know what's going on, and I'll handle it. So they went out, and about 2 o'clock, that morning. They hadn't got home yet. Two o'clock in the morning. Now, this daughter was very upset that her mama hadn't got home yet. She had the blinds open, the floodlights on. She was walking back and forth, pacing the floor. And finally, about 2.15, here they pulled up. He got out of the car, went around, opened her car door, walked up the door, gave her a little peck on the jaw, and he was in the car and he was gone. 
When she walked in the door, her daughter said to her, she said, Mama, do you know what time it is? It is 2.15 in the morning. Where have you been? Oh, she said, Honey, we just lost track of time. She said, We were having such a good time. We lost track of time. She said, I meant to be home earlier, and I'm sorry about that. She said, You know, I had to smack him three times. She said, You're kidding. Mama, you had to smack him three times? She said, Yep. I thought he died three times. I had to smack him to see if he's still alive. And you know, in the Baptist church, we got some of the best doctors in the world. But I tell you, bless your heart, we are some of the deadest people in the world, aren't we? If there's anybody in this world that ought to be happy and have joy, it's folks who sit under the, under the sound doctrine of the Word of God and are reminded constantly that we don't have to die and go to hell. Jesus is coming back. I said all that to say this. You can't build a church on sorry, rotten doctrine tonight. Amen. You got to have healthy, sound, wholesome doctrine. And then we looked also in chapter number one about the that the preacher plays in the building of the church. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Around here, we know that our church is certainly not built upon one man here. There are many people that labor week in and week out to make our church a success and to help us and, and work behind the scenes. And so I say again that the pastor is not uh, a one-man show, but by the same token of that, uh, you know, in, in, the, in, in our church or in any other church, the most important position in that church is that of of the preacher and of the pastor. Uh, I want to say again that, you know, the success of any church will be largely based upon the person that is in the pulpit of that church. Now, not the personality of that pulpit. I've met some preachers that have great personality, and then I've met some people that, that had a, a not-so-great personality. But God doesn't bless a church based upon the personality of a preacher. Uh, let me just stop and say it is not the style of a preacher's preaching. It is the substance of a preacher's preaching. Can I stop and tell you that God never did promise to honor the personality of a preacher? God never did promise to honor the style of a preacher? God promised to honor that word right there, that book right there. God is not going to honor a man necessarily because he preaches in a certain manner or a certain way. You know, there, all of us in this room tonight, we have our favorite style of preaching, and I get that. I have preachers that I love to listen to. You probably have preachers that you love to listen to. And uh, we like that style, that particular way that they preach. I kind of cotton to the more uh, uh, maybe rambunctious, maybe, uh, you know, fiery kind of man, get with it kind of a preaching. Uh, that's kind of what I cotton to, while other people may cotton, may have a tendency to lean in the direction of those who more of a teaching style of preaching. You say, preacher, who's right about that? Well, they both are. Because God can use any personality and any style of preaching, but he honors that book right there. It is, not the, it is not the style. It is the substance of what's being preached. It is the truth that God honors. It is the truth that God honors and not the way that that truth is being presented. You know, they had a problem with that over the church of Corinth. Had a big problem with that. I'm talking about, you know, had their favorite preachers, their favorite styles of preaching, and it caused division in the church. Look what the Bible said about that in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Now this I say, Paul said, I've heard this now from the household of Chloe. And I don't know who that Chloe was. But Paul said, I heard this from old Chloe that there are some problems in the church there. And some of you are saying this, well, I'm a Paul. And others were saying, I am of Apollos. And still others were saying, I am Cephas. While still others were saying, and I am of Jesus. And what they were saying was, man, I like the style of Apollos. Apollos was a very eloquent kind of preacher. Man, man, could he spit it out there in a manner, in a way that everybody could understand it. He was very eloquent. 
eloquent. And then, of course, there was uh, Paul. Boy, Paul was very intellectual. Wrote uh, 14 of our 27 New Testament books. And boy, could he impress people with his intellectual style of preaching. And then there's old Cephas. Cephas is another name for Peter. And I kind of got it. Old Peter was probably one of them hacking kind of hellfire and damnation. You know where he was. A hacking kind of a damnation, hellfire and damnation kind of a preacher. Uh, and man, some of them were saying, boy, we like old Peter and we like Paul and we like Apollos. And then you had that real crowd that said, well, we cotton to Jesus style of preaching. And, and there's nothing wrong with you liking a certain way or a certain style of preaching. But I go back again and tell you, it's not the style, it is the substance of what's being preached. It is the truth that God promises to honor. Can I have an amen? In fact, let me tell you furthermore what God said about that in the book of 1 Corinthians when he went on to say this, but God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. It goes on to say, and God, uh, and the base things of the world, and things which are despised, yea, hath God, God, God hath chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring naught to things that they are, because the ultimate bottom line is to do this right here, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Can I just stop and say this? It isn't the style of the preacher as he stands to preach the word of God. In fact, can I tell you this? God likes to do extraordinary things with ordinary people. I've been reading right now through the book of Judges, and, and the one thing that I've come to understand through the book of Judges is this. When God look, went looking for a leader to lead the nation of Israel, he didn't go looking for the leaders, you know, the people that, that maybe I would have chose with the great leadership abilities or the great personality. God chose some of the most off-the-wall people to, to be the leaders of the nation of Israel. I'm talking about people like old Gideon. Gideon was afraid of his shadow. Then there was Jephthah. He was born of a heart and kicked out of the the family by his brothers and his sister. There was Ehud. He was a left-handed man. Uh, and all through the book of Judges, most of them we don't even know anything about. But the truth of the matter is God used those people. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because ultimately God wants to get the glory for what happens and not some man. Can I say that one more time? I like the sound of it. God wants to get the glory for what happens, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, when God do, do, chooses something that is very ordinary, and then God does extraordinary things with it, people look back and say, man, I'll tell you what, God had to do that right there. Can I have an amen? And ladies and gentlemen, if God don't do it, it ain't going to get done to begin with. What the, what the kind of preacher that the church needs is a preacher that's got God on him. God has to be on the preacher, on the man of God, if God is going to bless that. And you and I have to just sit back and trust the Lord that God is going to take care of the situation and get glory to himself because God does extraordinary things with ordinary people, just like he did with Timothy here. And Paul said, Timothy, here it is. You may have some folks that are against you, but go on and serve God anyway. And then tonight, and I'm going to wrap this up. Then tonight we come to chapter 2 and we, we leave the part that doctrine plays. And we leave the part that the preacher plays. Now we come to chapter number 2. And when it comes to building a church, we understand the part that prayer plays. Now if you look beginning in verse 1 and following, this whole text is about the subject of prayer. Now, I'm going to tell you something. A little bit later in verse 9, we're going to get to the part that women plays. 
in building the church. Then we're going to come to chapter 3, and we're going to get to the part that men plays in the building of the church. But before we all get to that, maybe we ought to have prayer. <laughs> so, so Paul says, okay, we've covered the preacher. Now let's talk a little bit about prayer. And he says this in verse number 1, first of all. Boy, prayer is to be the first thing that we do. I heard about this lady one time, and she was going through some troubled times, and she, you know, she's talking to other people, talking to her friends, and, and, um, uh, and finally they just said, well, look, it looks like to me there ain't nothing else to be done. We just need to pray about it. She said, oh, my, has it come to that? Isn't that a sight that that's how we treat prayer? Prayer oftentimes is our last resort when in reality Paul said it should be our first resource. I exhort therefore that first of all prayers, prayers, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you something. We can do a lot more after we pray, but we can't do anything before we pray. And the building of a church and the, and the success of any church will be based upon the amount of prayer that's being prayed in that church. Have I already hit a snag around here tonight or what? There is the part that prayer plays in the house of God. Let me skip through all this and let me point out three things and we'll come back to this text next week. First of all, I want you to notice, number one, the aspects of prayer. The aspects of prayer. Look at verse number one, and he mentions now four different types of praying. First of all, he uses the word supplications. Then he uses the word prayers. Then he uses the word intercessions. And then he uses the, the phrase giving of thanks. So number one, he said there are different aspects of praying. There's not just one kind of prayer that we pray. There are many types of prayer. Sometimes we pray those prayers of supplication. Sometimes it's a prayer of intercession. Sometimes it's just a general prayer. And other times it is a prayer of giving of thanks. But whatever it is, Paul said, first of all, let's pray. Let's pray as a church. And boy, I want to encourage you, let's pray as a church. Let's seek God's face. I read this, uh, not this week, we were in chapel this week. One day this week, we were having high school chapel, and the preacher that was preaching this week said, and I don't even know where he'd read it at, but I'm taking it to be true because he's a good man. And he said this, the average preacher prays only 12 minutes a day. Well, buddy, I'll tell you something. I took that as a challenge. And I'm not trying to be hypocritical about this, but I, I've just got where I kind of watch the clock a little bit when I start praying. Don't, I'm not trying to be hypocrite. I know we shouldn't pray long prayer. I get all that. But I tell you, I want to pray more than just 12 minutes a day. You think about how little do we pray. We may say a little 30-second or one-minute prayer before we bow our heads and, and, and we eat our meals. And maybe you pray before you get up, you head out to work, God, please protect me from the drive down. But really, how, how, many, how many minutes do we pray a day? And Paul said the very first thing that we ought to do is we ought to pray. First of all, we can do no more until we pray the aspects of prayer. Then notice, secondly, in this text, not only the aspects of prayer, Prayer, but notice the subjects of prayer. Now, who do we pray for? Well, verse 1 says this, for all men. And then he jumps on down to verse number 2, and he starts talking about the politicians. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. I didn't vote him in. I ain't praying for him. But can I tell you something? I didn't vote him in either. And I criticize him enough. But uh, I'm going to pray for him as well. Can I have an amen? We're to pray for who? For kings and for all that are in authority. Ain't my flavor right now. Is it yours? Yes. 
That's not my flavor at all up there right now. In fact, I can't think of too much that I agree with since he's been up there that he's done. I can't think of too much that I agree with, if anything. I don't agree with our governor. And it ain't maybe necessarily just his flavor. But I'm not for abortion. I'm not for all that stuff. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm against stuff like that. The lottery and alcohol and who, God help us, man. Talk about lottery. We need the lottery so we can pay for education. Well, we got the lottery and they're still taxing us like crazy to try to pay for it. I thought the lottery was going to pay for the education. God help us. Now they want to put bonds on there to take care of educational needs. Well, I'm against all that, but I owe them my prayers. And I do pray for them. I try to. God have mercy on them is what I pray. Lord, they're wrong. Have mercy on that crowd. They're wicked. They need to get saved. God, save them for Jesus. That's the way I pray for them. How about y'all? I pray for God to give them wisdom because I ain't got none. I pray God will direct them and touch their heart. And I pray for those who up there that are saved. Maybe there's one or two up there, hopefully, that is saved. And I pray, oh, God, those that are saved up there, use their light and their influence to influence the others up there because that outfit is so wicked and ungodly. God, have mercy on you. You say, I'm not going to pray for them. Well, let me tell you something. When Paul wrote these words about praying, guess who his president was? Nero who burnt the city of Rome and blamed it on the Christian. And Paul has said, we better pray for that rascal. I'm talking about we need to pray for our leaders, but then we need to pray for the lost. How much time do we really pray for the lost? Look again at verse 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have. Aren't you glad for that will have part there? Who will have, who to be saved, all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Aren't you glad that we have a God that's willing that all people be saved? Black, the white, the Democrats, the Republicans, the, the Blue Devils, the Tar Heels, the Red Sox, the Yankees. God wants everybody to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for lost people. Look at me. I read this quote this week. I was going to put it on the screen, but I didn't. Look at me. Before we ever talk to men about God, we should first of all talk to God about men. Amen. Can I have an amen? Before we ever go out here and just haphazardly begin to talk to men about God, first of all, we ought to spend some time talking to God about men. And the Bible said God will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There's the aspects of praying. There's the subjects of praying. And then I'm done. There's the precepts of praying. Now, there, uh, look at verse 8. I'll just read this verse and we'll go. But look at verse 8. I will therefore... Based upon everything that I said, Paul said, here's what we need. We need people who pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now look at me. Understand this. If we're going to get our prayers answered, conditions have got to be right in our own heart. We already know from Psalm 66, 18, if we regard iniquity in our heart, iniquity in our heart, the Lord won't hear us. We already know that we got to have uh, the proper relationship between husbands and wives. Peter said that our prayers be not hindered. I mean, conditions have to be right for us to get our prayers answered. And he lays it all out there in verse number 8. First of all, notice this, inwardly we must be holy. In other words, we can't, and, and you know this, but we can't get out here and smoke weed and drink liquor and get on our knees and pray and expect God to answer our prayers. We can't cuss people out and just be ugly and uh, just expect God. We need to lift up what kind of hands? What kind? You see, holy hands are an indication of a holy heart. And if we're going to get our prayers answered inwardly, we've got to have holy hands. 
Outwardly, look again at verse number 8, we've got to be without wrath. That speaks toward our fellow man. If we're going to get our prayers answered, we've got to deal with our feelings toward our fellow man. We can't just flop down and hate everybody and just expect God just to answer our prayers. We've got to get our hearts right, not only with God, but also with our fellow man. And then look this, inwardly and then outwardly and then upwardly, there can't be any doubting. How many times have you prayed a prayer and you knew God wasn't going to answer it to start with? That doubt many times hinders us from getting our prayers answered. So if we're going to get our prayers answered, holy hands, right relationships, and then uh, we must be uh, doubt, no doubting that God will answer our prayer. How is your prayer life tonight? How is your prayer life? How much do you pray every day? Can I challenge you tonight? Why don't you start praying a little more? Can I have an Amen. Make you out a prayer list. How many of y'all have a prayer list you go by? Can I tell you something? Are y'all like me? When I pray, if I'm driving down the road, my best prayer time, I drop my wife off here at the school, and I head off to the hospital. And uh, my prayer time, and you better pray on Highway 52 going to the hospital every morning. But that's, my, that's a, a lot of my prayer time, a big chunk of it right there. And I don't know how y'all are, but I get easily distracted when I pray. In other words, watch this. I am praying sometimes, and the first thing you know, I've shifted over and I've started preaching. Oh, you ladies are like that too. Y'all pray, and then you preach a while. But I have, man. I have prayed before, and then the first thing you know, I've got my mind off on the message I preached yesterday, which had been today, or maybe if I'm going to preach revival that night, I've already got a thought in my mind, I'm going to preach that night. And the first thing you know, I've left off praying, now I've started preaching and forgot all about praying. Or I've got some situation in my mind and I start thinking about how am I going to work this situation out? Or I've got this to do today and that. To do. And first thing you know, I've left all praying and I've got completely distracted and I'm over here trying to figure out problems now. Is anybody like that? One of the greatest things I've learned to do that has helped me the most to become not distracted in my praying is to make me out a prayer list. So I have a prayer list in my card. I have a prayer list in my Bible. And I go down my prayer list, and I've got it sectioned off into various, for instance, people that are sick. That's the top of my list, the sick people. And then right under that's the unsaved people. And then right under that are preachers that I pray for. And then on the back, turn it around, i got church requests, things going on in the church underneath that. Uh, really, underneath that recently has been people that I've been marrying lately. I've been marrying a lot of people, so I try to still pray for all those young couples that I married. I think I had eight weddings last year. God, help us. What in the world was I thinking last week? But anyway, uh, and I try to pray for those young couples that I married. And then down at the very bottom of that prayer list, I got families that are in trouble in our church. And I've got all their names written out. And I try to pray for those families that are hurting in the church. And if I do that, that takes me 30, 35 minutes to get through that. And then if I'm driving a long distance, like uh, to West Virginia and back, or wherever I was going, uh, get, I get my cell phone out. And I just start with the A's. And I just start praying for everybody whose name is on there in A. Then I leave the A's, and what do I go to? You, go, you graduated from Mount Airy. After A comes L, right? I mean, that's what they taught y'all at Mount Airy, right? And then I go to the B's and then the C's. And by the time I get through with that list, man, I done prayed an hour and a half. Pray for people. Paul said, pray for all men. Can I say it like this? Boy, we are all behind when it comes to praying. Can I have an amen? amen? Lift up without wrath and without doubting. And God will 
answer our prayers. God can do it. Let's pray. Father.